Hello? Hey, you have no hair, no hat Austin today. We said good. Uh, where's the mic stand? You're hiding it. So a couple things. I learned Thursday I'm preaching today, so don't hold that against me. Um, second thing, it's going to be really heavy. Um, some would say it's going to be like a state of the youth ministry. Uh, it's going to be a lot of statistics and a lot of math to begin with. Um, so I'm going to read, read some statistics off to you. Did you know that the human eye blinks on an average of 4.2 million times per year? Some of you may have stopped blinking for, for a couple seconds to try and stop that. Um, or how about the fact that the average person eats approximately 1,500 pounds of food every year? What about taking into consideration that apples are the most efficient or more efficient than caffeine to keep you awake in the morning? So perhaps instead of coffee, you just have apples out there. <laughs> um, so these are the things, these are some more statistics that I asked the internet for. Every seven minutes, Walmart generates $3 million in revenue. In a game of bridge, there are exactly 635,359,599 possible hands. That was hard to read. Uh, by the way, how do you play bridge? I don't know. What, what, is, what is bridge? Is that a card game or is, what, is, what is bridge? Um, the next one, it takes 492 seconds for the sunlight to reach the earth. Uh, more than 10% of the world's salt is used to de-ice American roads. And driving 55 miles per hour instead of 65 miles per hour can increase your car's mileage by roughly 15%. So some of you are going to go slow going home today because gas is getting expensive. Um, so let's get a little bit more serious here. Um, talk about things that are plaguing our planet. So these are things that are awful. Every year, approximately 10 people are killed by vending machines. An average of 100 people this year will choke on a ballpoint pen. In the USA, emergency rooms, in the USA emergency rooms, over 6,000 people will check in every year with pillow-related injuries. And over 50,000 people each year are injured by jewelry. Those are, those are plaguing our planet right now. Those are scary. Uh, <laughs> so this morning, uh, we're going to kind of dig into some statistics, like, like I've read some funny ones. Um, but these are not the ones I've talked about before. These are very, I don't know, like, they're not like vending machines. They're not like scary ones, but they're, they should dishearten you. They, they should make you feel pr pretty awful about it. Um, so we're going to dig into that. But before I do that, I want to pray for us before we you know, dig, dig deeper into this. So, Father, I pray as we look at your word, as we evaluate our hearts, as we, as we look at what um, the state of the youth ministry is, we look at uh, the youth today, as we look at uh, the hearts of, of, of those who are just full of doubt and those who are full of just hurt, Father, that you would um, fill this place and let, let you just touch those hearts, Father, like the only way that you can. Um, so, Father, I pray as we dig into the Word that you would just continue to show us and continue to, to 
point us in the direction of worshiping you further, Father. In, in your name we pray. Amen. So two studies conducted by both Barna Group and the U.S. Today have found out that nearly 75% of Christian young people left the church right after high school. 75%. So that would be, uh, and I looked, I watched some videos, and I have, if you want to, like, are interested in more of this, I have, like, links to everything. If you want to, like, look up the link and watch some videos, I have a lot of that stuff. Um, but this is, when I was watching the first one uh, for this, this was uh, really catered towards um, showing where youth ministries today need to reevaluate what they do. Because a lot of youth ministries will cater towards attractions and doing a lot of just fun stuff. And a lot of people will leave the church because they don't know what the Bible really means. They don't be biblically literate anymore. They'll be like, oh, I had fun at church because I had friends at church, so I went to church. Um, but once they leave, graduate high school, they technically will graduate church uh, because of the fact that they have no grounding in Scripture. They have no grounding in, in that. So that's kind of the reason why we're at today. We're setting percent of the young people in, will leave the church by, high, by after high school. Um, so that's a little, it's a little scary. Um, a LifeWay Christian Resource Survey from 2007 indicated that 70% of 18 to 22-year-olds stop attending church for at least one year. Surveys by the Barna Group have reported shown that a majority of 20-year-olds leave church often never return. 25% of 18 to 29-year-olds believe that church demonizes everything outside the church, including movies, music, culture, technology, everything that come to define their generation. 20% of young adults say that God is absent from their church experience. 25% of young adults say that faith is irrelevant. 33% of young adults say that church is boring. And ultimately, 40 to 50% of young Christians fall, fall to, fail to stick with their faith and connect with the church after high school. No matter whose number you believe or what statistics you follow, everyone agrees on one thing. There is a significant exodus happening in our churches. Particularly during the years that it takes from teens to college, the college age where, where they'll leave. If you look around, you can see it here, you can see it in other churches, you can see where there's an exodus happening of people of that generation. These numbers may not shock you, they may not surprise you, but they should at least bother you. These numbers should cause us to ask questions like, what do youth ministries need to change? What do kids ministries need to alter? What should Christian parents need to do differently? What do pastors, leaders, and volunteers need to do in order to reverse this trend? Now, what if I could tell you that you could help, and what if I told you you had a role to play in all of this? And how different these statistics can change and they, we, can, we can change them in, the, in a crazy way. I told, if I told you, you could personally, specifically, you yourself could stop those statistics. So in Deut Deuteronomy 4, 6, it'll be on the screen. I'm in an NLT, so I'll be, I'll be a little bit different than what you're reading. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Listen to Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to those commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is one of the most significant passages in the, in, in the entire Old Testament. Um, it, uh, it's, called, it's called the Shema. 
this is a daily prayer recited by, his follow, by followers of Judaism because it's incredibly important. And in fact, Jesus himself emphasized this passage during his ministry on earth. That's in Mark, Mark 12, 20 through 30. It says, uh, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked of all the commandments, what is, what is most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen to Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And so we begin with the Shema because it's one, of the, it's one simple reason. Parents are called by God to be the primary spiritual advisors, nurturers, guides for their children. Not a pastor, not a youth pastor, not a Sunday school teacher, not a small group leader. Parents are the, should be the first and foremost the one that helps do it. In terms of teaching children by the faith and helping youth develop a lifelong faith that will last, the responsibility fall, first falls into the shoulders of those parents. I could say more, but that's a different topic. Um, now that we looked at Shema's foundation, let's press to see how we, and when I say we, every single one of us can stop those statistics. Um, oh my gosh. So Matthew 21, it says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money, changers and and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and, and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law and saw those wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were, dil- were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what those children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught the children and infants in that, to give you praise. And that goes back to Psalm 8. It says, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And your glory is higher than the heavens you have taught children and infants, to tell your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. Um, and I'm reading a lot of scripture, so I apologize. Uh, so Mark 10, 13 through 16, says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with, the, for, with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he looked at the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. So I want to kind of read those passages this morning as just a quick way of making sure that we all understand something, that Jesus loves children. He loves youth. He loves the next generation. I'm not sure he really loves Star Trek, but, you know, he probably would love it too. Um, so Jesus loves the youth. He loves the young people. He loves people of the next generation. So there's a picture several times in the Gospels that wherever Jesus was, children were not far off. When Jesus wanted to use a child for a sermon analogy, he didn't go searching high and low. It just, it just kind of happened. Like you see what happened with the kid and the, the loaves and, and fish. Um, so he just needed to reach out and the child was there. Matthew 18 About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. 
Unless you turn your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you, ch- but if you cause one of the little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it will be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. These are some pretty strong words from Jesus here. Not only in regard to our need to humble ourselves and approach God as children, but because Jesus says every time that we receive a child in his name, you are receiving Jesus. When you show acceptance to a child, when you become alongside a family and help them find their way towards Jesus, you are displaying your deep love for God. Um, and so, let's move a couple of verses down into um, verse 10. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of, of my heavenly Father. Can I suggest something to you? Um, it's easy to look at these verses in Matthew's gospel and conclude that we are all innocent in this. Because we never intentionally tempted the child to sin. We never willingly placed a stumbling block in, the, in their path. How... I mean, how big of a creature would we be if we, if we did that to a child? But when you see this phrase Jesus used, see that you do not despise one of the little ones, the word despise could also be worded as see that you do not devalue, de- dis- disesteem, or think little of the little ones. I wonder how little we must think of little children and our youth and our church community could be um, to know that a significant, significant number of them are headed towards failure. And yet we do nothing besides say, I hope their parents raise them right. I hope their pastor gets better at discipling them. I hope their Sunday school teachers can get this problem figured out. The small group leaders can help them figure this out. I'll strongly suggest that while is inarguably the role of the parent to take the predominant role as a spiritual caregiver for their children is, if you believe that it's 100% someone else's responsibility, Sorry, if you believe that it's 100% someone else's responsibility, then you are thinking little of the children and youth who sit around you every Sunday, every Wednesday. And Jesus does not exactly paint a nice word, for picture, word picture for those who, those of us who live that way. I wonder if that had to do with Julie mentioned in the previous statistics, um, where he just got injured from it. And so it is my hope and prayer this morning that you would not merely hear what I have to say, but that you would perhaps for the first time realize that you have a scriptural responsibility to help children and youth develop a faith that will last instead of just say it's someone else's problem. But we all have a part to play as a community, as a church together, as a new life. So we should be together as a united front to help and, and to serve. Every year, countless Christian teenagers graduate from high school They'll graduate from youth group. For all for intents and purposes, they will graduate from church and from their faith. And it is within your power to stop those statistics. Because one of the best ways to help students develop a lifelong faith is to simply worship beside them in a church setting, connect with God together, or to model a relationship that you have with, to them, or to show them what it's like to corporately worship, or to show them what it's like to pray, or to show them what it's like to read scripture, or to show them what it's like to be generous or to show what it's like to be kind or show what it's like to do certain things. Because if, if we don't do that, they won't understand what it's like to really be a Christ follower other than what they've seen at schools, what they've seen at home. 
Because what they get, I mean, you, you, you've, you've got, you, you were all young. Um, what they get is they get about 30 hours a week at school, 30 hours a week at home watching TV, and then about 45 minutes here. And people wonder why pe- people are biblically illiterate, illiterate. Because there's not a lot of time out here to read the word, the word compared to everything else. So a lot of churches are absolutely lousy at including and accepting children and teenagers. Here's an actual quote taken from a church's weekly bulletin. This is real. We kindly ask each person's help in limiting distractions during a church service. It is our desire to provide a distraction-free ministry at all services. Therefore, while in the sanctuary, please turn off your cell phones. We request that children under the age of 12 and their age-appropriate classes for their benefit and that of the entire body. Did you catch that? I mean, perhaps the best way a church can nurture a faith that sticks in the lives of children and teenagers is to include them in the worship with them. But this church has publicly stated that the children are distractions and are similar to cell phones. And they need to be put away and silenced. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. And so obviously the question that we need to answer is what can we do? And I hope by now you're not asking what can the pastor do? What can the youth leaders do? What can the kids leaders do? What can the church board do? What can the trustees do? What, can, uh, what, program, what program can we make to fix this? What can we, what can we come up with that will kind of ease, ease what's going on? What kind of band-aid can we slap on it? Um, but instead I hope you're asking what can I do? What can I do that to that so that child that who sat in front of me during this, this morning's service or worship has the Aza's, wow. Uh, what can I do to share my life with that youth that sits around me or to that kid that's in the back or the college student who sits around me? Um, what can I do to share Jesus into their life? How can I love on them? Or what can I do to that youth that's sitting across the sanctuary from me that will not just become another statistic in the real world? Um, what can I do to stop those statistics? And I want you to think about those certain things is we all have a part to play. We all have a, a place to change the way that these, the youth will, will live. We have, a, we have a way to change the, the course of their lives. And even if we, if we take out the youth part, we think about our own lives. Are we loving each other the right way? Are we loving our neighbor? If you look across the aisle, have you talked to them? Have you loved on them the right way this week? Have you showed Christ to them this week? Have you prayed for them? Have you... What have you done this week that would glorify Christ? Instead of just thinking about what am I going to eat for lunch? What am I going to do for vacation this, this summer? Because it's summertime. I've got to go on vacation. So that's more important than, than praying up for my friend who's is doing, going through something rough. So think about what are we doing? Is it about me here or is it about people around me? So if you just think, take the youth out and think about the people around you, are you doing that the right way you're supposed to be called to do? As be the church. Because we're not just to come here on a, on a Sunday morning to sit here for an hour. Well, for me, well, for me you're not going to be here for three hours. Um, but sit here in a, a certain amount of time of being with other believers. Are you really connecting with people that, the way that you should be connecting with? Are you loving people the way that you should be loving? Are you living a life that should glorify God in the way you should be glorifying God? What would happen if you simply introduced yourself to a teenager who came to church this Sunday? Or you introduced yourself to somebody brand new? 
what if you par- happened to partner alongside of parents who started inviting families out to lunch and you've never gone out with them before? So you can speak both words of encouragement to the kids and to the parents. But what if, what would happen if you invited families over to your house? And what if when they said, well, let me see if I can find a babysitter. And you said, no, nah, bring the kids. What would happen if you actually invested into the lives of, of parents and the kids who just need it? How would the church be different if we stopped thinking that we need one youth leader who is willing to be present for every 10 students, but we instead actually had five adults who are willing to intentionally encourage every single week or just one student? Imagine how different that student's perspective would be if you, they had multiple people loving on that one kid. How would this community be different if the children knew that there, there were many of you praying for them each and every week because you regularly ask how you can pray for them? How would this community be different if we just showed that we cared, that we showed that we loved, that we showed that we actually had a heart for people? How would our city, our state, our country change if we, if we contacted and connected with students from this church uh, who have moved away, gone to other tr- colleges, gone to other places? How do you think they would react if you actually reached out to them and loved them and showed sure that you cared? Our country and our planet and the population in heaven would be different. We may not be able to stop everyone from walking away from the faith, but we can help change. We can help show. We can help love. That's what we're called to do. In Matthew 28, 18 through, it's not going to be on the screen, but we're called to make disciples of all nations. We're called to love. We're called to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But not just that, but the main part is to make disciples. The disciple part is not just, I made a number, go up. The very bottom of Matthew 28, it, show, it also shares that you teach them everything that you have learned and done. So you don't just make that number appear and say, I, got, I did this number and I did good. They got baptized, I did good. And then you leave them out to dry. So many people, like I had a conversation this morning of someone who got saved at eight and then had nothing to do. Like they didn't have any help whatsoever after that. Do you think that's... that's Pretty, pretty awful to be like, oh, here's, here's, uh, you just got saved, here's a whole steak. You're, you have, you're an infant in the word, so here's a whole five-course meal. And they can only drink spiritual milk. That's not very wise of us. We should go along that person and also share that what we've learned and, and make that disciple of continually pushing and, and teaching and showing what it's like to be a Christ follower instead of just, you got saved, great, welcome to the house. That's how we're treating our students. That's how we're treating our kids. That's how we're treating this generation because that's all we've known. That's all we've learned. So we need to stop that mentality of you did it, good, welcome. Instead of you did it, good. Let me teach you some things that I've learned. Let me tell you where I'm at in life. Let me tell you what's going on in this. Let me tell you what with this. That's a different mentality of welcome. You got it. <laughs> Go fend for yourself. Here, here's a... Here's a Here's a fork and knife. Go chew on that steak when you have no teeth. It breaks my heart that many people will go through that in life. Many people who struggle with the, the idea of, I don't know what it's like to be a Christ follower because no one's ever told me. All I get is on a Sunday morning and it may not be what I need or it may not be what I what I. What I I look forward to, or who knows. But the bottom line is we need to 
adjust our way of discipling. We need to adjust our way of loving. We need to adjust our way of showing what it's like to be a Christ follower, showing what it's like to lead a different, to lead an example for Christ. I'm just really curious. Um, who, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to encourage you to raise your hand. Who, who is like, who's like that eight-year-old who has never been taught what it's like to be a, a Christ follower at a young age when they got saved? Anyone? Because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those. No one ever taught me what it's like to be a Christ follower when I, when I became a, a Christ follower. They just said, here you go, go for it. It's rough. It's very discouraging when you go through, through church. It's very discouraging when you go through life as, as a young teenager and when you get to that point of, oh, I don't have to be here anymore, so I'm out. So you don't have that foundation. You don't have that, that grounding anymore because of no one's ever taught it to you. No one's ever helped you. No one's ever put, gave this to you and helped you. If we're willing to partner with kids' ministries and youth ministries, and most importantly, families, to stack the deck, we can change the lives of many people. But we have to be willing first. We have to be willing to change the lives. We have to be willing to partner with. We have to be willing to invest in. We have to be willing to do those things. But if we're not, we're just going to let the statistics keep going and the churches will be less and less and less as we go. That's scary. Youth ministry is, is a very hard ministry to go to and to work with. Because like you said, uh, identity. We, Scott made a really funny, that's not a funny joke, but it's a very disheartening joke about the furries. People believe that. People believe in a lot of different things like being trans or I'm a girl, I'm a guy, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. I struggle with I like this, I like that. And that's what I deal with on an everyday basis with people who believe those things because they don't know what their identity is. Because no one ever takes the time to pour it into them. No one ever takes the time to love on them. No one ever takes the time to do those things for them because they're so confused with everything that the world throws at them. Again, they are in the world much more than they're in here. They are in schools. They are in sports. They are in all these different things that they're constantly surrounded by. They come here for a maximum of two hours a week. And so me, I don't have that much time to pour into them, but with the help of everyone else here, with the help of people who, the families, people who pour into people who see, that statistic can change. But we have to be willing to do that. And also, that goes to the point of, there was uh, Seth Buckley, who was over at First Baptist Spartanburg. We went to, his, uh, we went to a meeting there uh, with a bunch of other youth pastors, and he was telling us how his youth ministry has been, been suffering. And they're like, well, that's the First Baptist Spartanburg. They're a really big church. But he said, it's, it's been suffering. So they, I don't know if you've ever been to the hangar before, but it's like the, the, student, the student building. Um, it's, very, it's really nice. I, really, I love that the stage. It's really cool. Um, but he has these like latex uh, spandex uh, walls. And so he's kind of cut the sanctuary in half to kind of make it feel like it's a, a big room, well, like, like a filled room. But instead, he's cut his area in half because he doesn't have that many students anymore because of just how the culture's gone and how the, and how the world is right now. Because of the world speaks more into the students than we get to speak into students. And that's not just plaguing him, it's plaguing us, it's plaguing Bowling Springs, it's plaguing every church around us, the idea of 
identity crisis on top of, I don't know what biblical literacy is, I don't know what the Bible says. For those who know what biblical literacy is, that would be, you know that God is the creator of the universe and that he is a sustainer, that he, Jesus did live on this earth a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. Uh, that would also include um, just knowing what the Bible says and how, what you believe and how you believe it. A lot of people don't, don't know that. They'll just say, I come to church and I know these couple things, but they don't know why they believe those things and how that shapes and, and molds their life. So kind of the state of youth ministry, state of the church, because like if we look down the road 10 or 15 years from now and those youth are gone, who will fill the seats in the church? 20 years ago, it's much different than it is now. 20 years from now, it's going to be much different than it is now. Time changes. It'll keep changing. It'll keep changing. It keeps changing. If we don't change our mentality of how we love and how we show Christ to people, these, these churches will die. You see it all around. You see it, you see it happening around us. You, it, it, will come, it will come eventually if we don't change the way that we act and the, the way that we react and the way that we share the gospel and the way that we live for the gospel. Because if we don't show what it's like to live for Christ, they will never know. If we don't know what we know, we probably should uh, dig into some small groups and, and learn uh, and teach ourselves. Because if we don't, we're... <laughs> We're going to be very confused. Um, so as I, as I close, like I said, I'm not a long-winded speaker. Um, as the band comes up, I want us to t- take a moment. And I want you to think about a student or think about a, a person in your, in your family who is struggling with doubt or struggling with stepping away from the faith or struggling who, with their identity in Christ. Or... Think about someone in this room that you can reach out to and love on, or think about how, ways that you can serve students, or ways that you can serve kids, and ways that you can change the next generation, because the next generation is, is very important. And as Jesus said, he loves the, the little children. He loves the next generation. He loves the youth. So how are we going to serve? How are we going to love? How are we going to change the mindset of the next generation? Are you willing to be a part and change that statistic of 75% of kids leaving church after high school? Are you willing to pray along families? Are you willing to invest in families who are struggling, who have like, you know, I I pray for Scott a lot because he has three kids and they're crazy. Um, But are you willing to pray for Scott? Are you willing to pray for how he disciples his family? Are you willing to go along and see how he's doing? When's the last time you've done that for somebody? When's the last time you've reached out to somebody who needs help? So I want you to take a moment as, as before I pray and as they lead, I want us to take, take a few minutes and just be in prayer, thinking about those who need help. Think about those we can reach out to. So this time, let's, let's, let's pray together. Father, in this time, 
I know there's a lot of statistics, there's a lot of just scripture, there's a lot of things I just said, Father. But I pray one thing that we are encouraged to step out in faith, to love those around us, to reach out to the families and reach out to the students who just need to know that we care and that we love them. Because, Father, we need more of that. We don't, we don't need to be selfish. We don't need to be in our own bubble. We need to be your church. We need to reach out and love. We need to reach out and show that we care for the next generation, that we care for the church. We care for those around us. Let us not fall on the same cycle over and over again of playing through the motions of just existing. But, Father, let us live for you. We love you and we thank you. And then we pray. Amen. Also in this time, as, as we stand for worship, if you want to go, find someone and pray over them. Take this time to do that as well as a time of response. If you see a student that you want to reach out to, reach out to them. Or if you want to see a family, reach out to them. Take, take this time to do that and also come and worship.